0: Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September twenty second, two 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey. Uh, this is the weekly turn at the microphone for the Arts Commission at MPB. Uh, Each week we bring you an in-depth discussion with a different creative Mississippian. Uh, Today it may sound a little bit different uh, on the sound. Today we're in Meridian, Mississippi at the MAX, the Mississippi Arts and Entertainment Experience. And we're here talking with Terrence Roberts, who's a storyteller based here in Meridian. Hey Terrence, how's it going? Very well. How are you today? Real good. Well, I'd like to thank again the MAX for allowing us to come in and use their space. Uh, It's great to get outside of Jackson and meet with other folks and talk with them kind of in their home communities. Um, So you're a storyteller. You've been on uh, the Arts Commission's artist roster for many years. Uh, But so let's just start off for folks who haven't seen you uh, perform before. Tell us a little bit about who you are and and what
1: you do as a storyteller. Who am I? That's a good question. Um, As a storyteller, I am a storyteller that really appreciates folktales. So where some people tell mostly personal stories, uh, I tell folktales and stories that I've written that are still kind of folktale style. I, um, I've been telling stories, gosh, most of my adult life. And um, so it's, it's a lot of fun for me. I enjoy engaging people. And, and most of the stories that I tell are moral stories. So I always warn people, that be careful because if you listen to my story you may learn something um, or you may learn something about yourself that you might want to change
0: and in, in terms of where you perform talk about like some of the places if, if people have seen you around like mm-hmm. festivals schools and things like that
1: right I um, I perform churches museums festivals schools um, libraries especially in the summertime i have stories will travel and (laughs) so that's kind of wherever somebody wants to hear a story uh i've done a few birthday parties even where it's like man my my son really loved you can you come i'm like well if you can pay me (laughs) i can
0: come and before we started uh before we turned the mics on you were talking about you've got an upcoming like you've got a run of of a performances down on the Gulf Coast.
1: Right. Um, well, I guess after this is aired, but we'll, I'll have been down there at the end of the month at the Jackson George Regional Library System. So I'll be doing eight libraries in four days. So just having some fun performances. Summer reading programs are are really big and, and they're a lot of fun. And so I really enjoy getting to travel and, and meeting new people and just engaging kids and letting them see storytelling in a different way a lot of people have this idea when they think of storytelling um they think of grandpa grandma sitting down and reading a book to them oh you're a storyteller you know or a story reader i was like no i kind of tell stories and it's more like um edutainment uh (laughs) it's educational but it's entertainment and it's very interactive for me as I began working seriously in storytelling, I began looking at the traditions. And so I chose to adopt or adapt to um, a West African tradition of storytelling referred to as as Jolia. So I kind of see myself as a American Jolly. And so I tell, I often wear West African um, garments and I use a number of West African instruments in my storytelling from kora to um, the djembe to the sanza, which is um, like a kalimba, a, a um, thumb piano. Thumb piano, right. Mm-hmm. And so I also use different types of drums. I use a tama, uh, little cashekas, which are little handheld percussion instruments, but all of it to help tell a story, a lot of singing, a lot of history. And so that's a little bit about what I do.
0: And I guess it's also... Been an opportunity for you to see a lot of the state too, because I know that I've seen you, Mm -hmm. Tupelo. I I see the grants and things come in and see your name and contracts. You're kind of all over the place.
1: Very fortunate. And um, I love to travel. I love getting to know new cultures. I have a passion, especially towards um, civil rights and like Freedom Summer. So a lot of times when I get a chance to go into a community, I'll kind of already research some of the old KOFO records or SNCC phone records and find or try to find some interesting stories in those communities of those unsung heroes, those people that we never hear about, but had a significant impact on their local communities. And we'll try to work on stories while I'm, I'm there performing.
0: Right, and I, I think the Civil Rights Museum, really fo- the new Civil Rights yes. Museum, kind of really shows all those Local movements, those small town movements, and, that. and you, so
1: it's, and so, yeah. A lot of times you don't get to hear much. Um, I know Meridian. There, there are a number of different little stories here in Meridian, but we tend to focus only on the the murders. And so, when you get to hear some of the other things, uh, it just broadens your horizon. And we still have some of these these local legends who are who are still here. And most people just never, never heard their stories. Right.
0: Well, tell us a little bit about your background, how you got interested in storytelling. Was it? Did you have a storytelling tradition within your family or the community where you grew mm-hmm.
1: up? Well, I grew up in Michigan, but both of my parents are from Mississippi. My dad is from Kipper County and my mother is from Clay County. And my grandfather was the family historian and storyteller. Didn't really understood it. When I was a child, I guess, um, my dad was the youngest, so my grandfather was much older. But I would love to hear him telling stories about growing up and, and haint stories, which um, in the North, we didn't know what a haint was. But to, to hear those ghost stories and real life stories. My dad, my grandfather was a teacher and traveled by, by the mule or um, walked. to to school, so sometimes he would come home, and it would be pitch black dark, and he would tell these stories of how the mule wouldn't cross the road, and he knew something was going on, or there were lights, and so I was just fascinated, and so I loved those stories growing up, and I guess it was already a part of me, because I, when I majored in school, I ended up majoring in, in communications and broadcasting, and began working, um, First as a, a, a videographer, a photo um, for television. And managed to win several awards for my photography, videography, and just the art of storytelling from the camera lens. And then as I moved into working more as a journalist and writing more, um, all of it is telling stories, local news. But the art of storytelling that I've gotten into now came by accidentally. When I had babies, um, I knew the importance of reading to your children. And so I remembered these stories that I heard when I was a kid of Anansi the Spider. So I went out and I bought a book. Um, I'm trying to think of the name of it. I still have it. African-American Folk Tales for Young Readers. And so I would read to them when they were infants. And continue to, you read a story a few times and you you learn it. So I went from reading the stories to telling the stories. And by the time they started school, they always want parents to come in and read. So I said, well, I stopped reading to my kids long ago. I tell them stories. Well, will you come in and tell a story? Sure, I'll come tell a story. So I come in and I tell a couple stories and then the next time I come back, they say, do you mind if Miss Johnson's class sits in? Uh, and so I'm like, sure, <laughs> no problem. Then I come back again. Do you mind if, if Mrs. This and Mrs. This class come in? Would you like to do our Black History program? And then and it just kind of expounded. Um, one day I'm at one of these schools um, telling some stories. And it was, a, it was a night event. But they actually hired a professional storyteller. And so throughout the night, we were doing, they were working in in circuits. So I got a chance to see this person perform. They got a chance to see me perform. And they're like, wow, you're really good. It's like, are you on the Mississippi artist roster? And I said, no, I just kind of do this as a dad. And I'm like, they're paying you? (laughs) And so that was the exposure to a whole different world of doing what I love to do but had never thought of it as a career or any opportunity. But from that moment, I, I applied to the Mississippi Arts Commission's uh, artist roster and was accepted, And which sometimes they say is not an easy feat the first the first time you apply. Right, right. But very, very fortunate. Had a lot of experience, but just none paid. And that was one of the critiques, I think. It's like a lot of experience, but we don't see much paid work. So I began to really pursue it as a, as a career and as a passion, and it's been wonderful. And then shortly after, I was exposed to arts integration and becoming a teaching artist. So I immediately stepped into that role where I can use my art form to help um, integrate core subjects with the art of storytelling and the art of drama. And so that keeps me moving between those two opportunities. I'm either performing shows or I'm working in schools, working with teachers and students and and modeling so teachers can get a better understanding of how an art form can actually help teach core subjects, especially language arts and history and social studies and things like that and science. Yeah. You're listening to
0: The Arts Hour on MPB. I'm Larry Morrissey, and our guest today is Terrence Roberts. He's the story weaver, storyteller based out of Meridian, and we're uh, speaking today at the MAX, the Mississippi Arts and Entertainment Experience in downtown Meridian. So you mentioned kind of about the world of storytelling. I'm sure a lot of people you know, who, who see you say, oh, well, you just kind of jumped up there and, and, and started telling these stories, but there is a, a whole kind of apprenticeship and, and a, a development of, of you as a performer. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that, kind of maybe a little bit about the world of storytelling okay. as a profession.
1: Storytelling as a profession, it ranges. Because again, I didn't really know very much about the profession. I can remember when I was working for the local television station, hearing about a storyteller that was coming to Meridian and so it was my day off so i decided to go it was held in a little local auditorium small auditorium and there were maybe 15 people there and so i sat down and i listened to this man tell stories about growing up and they were just so engaging they were so much fun Uh, his name was donald davis um for those in the storytelling world it's like Donald Davis yeah. is... He's like the Pete Rose there, or something. Yeah, he is the man.
0: Elvis or something. Exactly.
1: Yeah. But at the time, I knew nothing about him. I loved him. I bought a couple of his books, gave one of the books to my mom. And my mom really loved it. And for her, because it was this rule growing up, and although Donald Davis is Anglo, my mother is African American, um, their, their stories were so similar. And she says, I really never knew how um, white people grew up. And so it was like, for her, it's like our lives were so very similar. But I kind of enjoyed that experience and put it in the back of my mind. After looking and getting involved and and applying to the uh, Mississippi Arts Commission's artist roster, I began looking more seriously at storytelling. And then I remember this this Donald Davis guy, and so I go and I go to the library. Who is that book? Here's the book. So I Google him, and then I find out who he really is. It's like, man, I was right here. I didn't even know. And so that fun or that excitement um, continued to draw. But there are, there are storytellers in so many different venues. So he tells a lot of stories that are home stories, and he also tells some folk tales. But he tells a lot about his life growing up. And I started looking for other storytellers, um, those in our state, those in other places. And I got involved with our a local storytelling guild here, which was fun. We would just get together and tell stories. I got to meet another storyteller, Tim Tingle, who was a Choctaw uh, storyteller. And Tim was listening and he, he was enjoying my stories. He's like, you need to get an instrument. And... So most of my stories were African, African West African based. I started looking at instruments and things like that. But then the real opportunity, and again, I guess if Mac helped me more than anything else, but I found out about a convention that, that takes place in conference. Um, it is the National Association of Black Storytellers. I never knew there was such a thing. And so I applied for a grant to be able to go to this teaching conference and got the grant and went. And all of a sudden, I'm surrounded by people, just like me, that love storytelling, embrace uh, their African lineage or their African American heritage. And their forms of storytelling, their styles were so incredible. I was like, this is it. I'm at home. And I began to really hone my craft in. and going to workshops and going to other things after that and just learning about the artist storytelling from the, the African tradition. And that really shaped me probably more than anything else. And how to use music and song in your storytelling, which I hadn't done before. Never thought I could sing. And so with all of those things taking place, it was just, it was just really cool. So now I've I've had this appreciation and opportunity to work with national storytellers from all over. Whether it's the Delta, uh, a couple several years ago, they tried for a couple of years to have a Delta storytelling festival. So I was working with you know, really really uh, famous people. I've gone up to um, to Hernando for a festival and met people like Elizabeth Ellis and. Um, So I've got to see all different kinds. A lot of people are just coming straight from their hearts and and telling the funny anecdotes. Um, Others take stories and and just kind of put their spin on them, folk tales and traditional tales. And so I've learned a lot about music. I've learned a lot about culture, both American and West African culture. I've learned other stories, even um, Navajo stories. And especially when you're down on the coast, the story of the Singing River and so you, you, you have this history, and you're able to share it with someone else. But not only that, you get to share something that touches a heart. And I think those are the, the real cool things about storytelling, much more than, hey, let's sit down and read a book. But it's, it reminds me, too, of what it was like before the age of television and the age of radio, when people actually sat out on a porch and someone told a story and reminded them about grandma or grandpa. And for a little while, they came to life right in their voice and in their mannerisms. And you got to see a past that you may not have known about.
0: Right, right. Let's take a quick music break here. And uh, we're going to listen to a little bit of Lewis Gearshifter Youngblood. He's a blues musician from Jackson, Mississippi. He's got a new CD out. We'll check out a track from him right now. We're back on the Arts Hour for our second segment today. Uh, today, I'm in Meridian talking with Terrence Roberts. He's a storyteller. Uh, he's on the Mississippi Arts Commission roster and teaching artist roster, right. right? And has worked with us in schools and for festivals uh, throughout the state, but is based here in Meridian. So uh, I, I guess I was thinking about, you know, when you were talking about the the, the Association of Black and Storyt- the National Association mm-hmm. of Black Storytellers, that you could kind of see the whole, like, The tradition of storytelling, which is, I mean, there's storytelling in a community, but then there's the performance tradition of storytelling and that it has, it has its own history as well now, because it's kind of been around by the time you got there it had already been there for what, 30, 40 40 years. years, That I
1: I was aware of. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. I mean, just, it's it's almost hard to put into words to, to be able to understand the deeper connection. Um, Every culture tells stories. Um, and that's something I began to understand. But each culture tells stories in a different way. And though much of Africa, especially West Africa there, because of, of different influences there, there was literacy. I mean, you have the, the libraries at Timbuktu. You, you have this, but the, the oral tradition remained very prominent. And so when you begin to learn the role of the griot or jolly. in in these cultures and how they were advisors to kings. How if a village was fortunate to have a a, a griot, a, a, a jolly, then every evening they would come down and they would sit around the village square and he would tell stories and he would remind them of the great kings and the great warriors and he would sing songs to retain all of this history and be able to tell the lineage all the way back. So I learned a lot about that concept as I got to know other, other storytellers who are working all across the country and doing wonderful work. And, and I'll be honest, I stole from many of them um, different elements of what I liked. It was like a smorgasbord. It's like, here I am, a young artist um, learning who I am. And I said, like, oh, I like that, just this part of you. And I took it. And I look at someone else, oh, I like that. And I took that little piece. And then began to forge who I was as an artist. So they, that was a, a really impactful moment for me.
0: But even when you, uh, like a musician, you hear a phrase, somebody mm-hmm. plays it, you're not going to play it the same way that same, they are. No. So even you taking that piece, it's going to turn in. You know, you're going to put your oh, self yeah. into it as well.
1: It, it, yeah, it never, it never is just a, a complete steal. It's a steal and, and re-transformation. It, yeah. yeah. So how do you, so you
0: talk about like maybe walk us through how you would pick out a story and say, all right, this is something I'm interested in and how you put it into your performance. You know, take it from if you had, if it was a, like a written source to it's, it's part of your
1: performance piece. Okay. I'm always looking for stories. And so I may be online, I may pick up a book and I'll read a story and a story will tell me it's my story. I mean, honestly, I'll read a great story and say, I love that story, but I'll never tell it. And then I'll read a story and it's like, I've been given permission by the story to tell it. So I look at the story and I kind of find out who wrote it and if there's an earlier version. And then I begin thinking it through. I draw this picture in my mind. I have a little movie playing in my mind, how it goes. Um, And then I start to tell it. And I'll tell it among a, a small group of friends or I'll tell it uh, at an open mic or I'll tell it somewhere. And each time I tell it, it, it shifts and it changes and it begins to formulate until something that becomes truly mine. And the way the audience responds or this audience doesn't respond, you tweak it until it, it becomes completely yours. And you, the more you tell a story, uh, the more you own the story. And then sometimes it becomes completely different um, from what you originally heard or originally read. And then sometimes it holds very true, but you put your own nuances in. Maybe you don't like the names that, that are there, or maybe uh, you want to change the setting or change this little bit about the story. So that's kind of what I do. I um, I'm always looking for new stories. If I hear a story that I really want to tell, then I try to find the writer of that story if it's an original story, and I ask permission to tell the story. Um, storytellers are really good. They love to, they don't mind sharing. I said, as long as you're not trying to get rich off my story, it's fine. Uh, if you do, you need to you know, change it. And so that's that's kind of what I've done. And some stories I've, I've looked at and found or read and realize that it came from another story. So I'll go all the way back to the original story and then rewrite the story from the original, which is a public domain folktale or like an Aesop fable. And so when I realize where it originally came from, if it's open domain, then I play with it and turn it into to something that becomes a the Story Weaver type of a story.
0: And do you, um, I assume that- they're never like completed pieces. I mean, I mean, I would assume like when you take a story out and you see maybe, oh, this part, I'm not getting the reaction that you're kind of right. like doing a little tinkering here and there. On oh, yeah,
1: it. It, it all, a story always breathes and is, and is always different based upon the audience. The one thing I think about storytelling as opposed to um, acting is storytelling is truly interactive. And so, if I'm having you sing along, or if I'm having you repeat a line, or if you laugh at something that no audience has ever laughed at, then I might keep doing, keep adding that into my story. And so, it may shift and change. It's, it's very fluid, very, mm-hmm. very liquid. And I think that's the cool thing about storytelling, is that I can tell the same story three nights in a row in three different locations, and the story has changed every time I've told it. So it becomes a living, breathing piece as opposed to something that's just rote memorization.
0: And I guess it keeps you engaged as a performer too. You're not oh, yes. just kind of like going through it. You're you're having almost like this uh, improvisation with the audience. Definitely.
1: That, yeah, yeah it's, it's so much more, um, like I said, than just, just rote storytelling or rote re- no, reciting. I think the biggest thing for me is that the oneness, because all of a sudden, everybody in the room, we're together. My imagination is being poured into their imagination, and we're all watching the same story come to life in our minds, and that's especially when I'm working with, with young people and children, that's one of the cool things when they come afterwards, and they're telling me about the story, or they're telling me what it looked like, and it's always based on their experiences, but... I was able to pour really pour in. A cool experience I had. I'm I'm one of about five artists, teaching artists in the state that had some extra training through the, the Kennedy Center for Performing Arts to work with special needs kids. And one of the opportunities I had was working with um, Mississippi School for the Deaf. And I was working with a special need population there and they were second graders. So I, I was telling them the story, one of my favorite stories to tell. And so afterwards, to make sure that they understood the story, because I was working with them in the classroom, I had them tell the story back to me. So they start telling the story back to me, and I'm like, it was going really well, and all of a sudden it would just shoot off in all these different directions. And I couldn't figure out, I was like, what happened? And I come to realize they weren't listening to, they weren't watching the interpreter. Their whole understanding of the story came from watching me And I'm not signing. I'm just telling the story with my whole body. And so they gained the story just from me. They understood the little girl. They understood the the problems and everything that was taking place. But they used their own little, um, their knowledge base to fill in the blanks where uh, they didn't have the words. And that really told me just how powerful storytelling can be, but also imagery that they could be as close to the story without never actually having heard the story. So I had to have the story signed with me telling the story behind so that only the interpreter was being seen so they would get the whole story. But it let me know just how powerful a medium storytelling can be even if you don't understand the language. That's amazing. That's really amazing. We're talking with Terrence Roberts. He's the,
0: the story weaver. He's a member of the Arts Commission's Artist Roster and Teaching Artist Roster. One thing I was thinking about, you know, you Anansi the Spider is, mm-hmm. is a West African folktale and I think it's kind of one of your... Yeah, he's one, one, one of the of ones, my favorite characters. ...ones you grab to all the time. Talk about him like, you know... His importance and 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 how he fits into kind of your whole portfolio.
1: Well, Anansi stories. Well, it was one of the first stories I heard that were that was an African based folktale, so that became the the initial interest. But Anansi is the type of character. He is a spider. He is the original Spider Man, with the ability sometimes being a spider, sometimes being a man. He's a trickster. So trickster stories, rabbit stories, uh, spider stories, all of them, they give you a chance to learn a lesson without you actually having to go through it. So you watch Spider, you watch how ingenious he is sometimes. Uh, You'll see how lazy he is sometimes. You'll see how his laziness gets him in trouble, or sometimes how his ingenuity helps him win the day. And... So you can relate to this character without it being directly hitting you. So I can tell you a story about Anansi, and Anansi has the same problem you have. And you're looking at that story and goes, well, Anansi should do this and do that. And so later on, without even realizing it, you're thinking and going, hey, I'm kind of like Anansi. And I really need to start doing this or stop doing that. So that's one of the things that I really like about Anansi stories. Um, I think the other thing about a Nazi is there an old, there's an old tale that all stories belong to a Nazi. So it doesn't matter who tells the story, where you heard it from, what part of the world, all stories belong to a Nazi. So every story is a Nazi story. So because of that, he he definitely has to be one of my favorite favorite characters because he owns every story. And do you really,
0: you, re- you know... You heard those stories as a, as a child, as I a guess. Child, mm-hmm. How do you relate to them now as an adult? Do you see a Nazi differently? Is your relationship to him as a character different now that you, he's part of your your work?
1: I think he becomes bigger. When I was little, hearing those stories, and they were just only on occasions, um, it was like, oh, that's really cool, or that's funny, or I learned something. But now, a Nazi has gotten inside of me, so. I literally embody a Anansi and those stories. So it becomes completely, we have a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> and so when I tell one of those stories and I see the kids light up, it reminds me, it's like maybe I'm touching them the way these stories touched me. But more importantly, um, a tradition that began in West Africa that traveled through the Caribbean, following the the middle passage and then made their way to the United States all by these these people of color these africans who were captured sold into to bondage and then arrived in America but they never left a small piece of home anansi went with them so you go to the caribbean and you hear these anansi stories and they're just slightly different from those on the on the homeland and then you come to the americas and you hear if not the anansi stories you hear the brer rabbit stories and you realize that these are the same they they took the characters that were around them but they the morals the values they they kept in these stories and those stories continue to be told and and i'm still telling those stories so it's like this this ribbon of culture that is unbroken, that's traveled even through the the hurts and the pains and the difficulties of a people of, of a people, and those sto- those same stories are bringing life to new ears, regardless of race. But it's I mean to me it's just a powerful thing, and I it's probably one of the most touching things that I get to do as a storyteller. First expose and, and and it kind of connects to the da in my name. Da is a Bamanakan um, word. It's an ancient people in West Africa. And in the Bamanakan people, the word door was da. And many of their great kings went by da, dajera, jera, da, da mezon. But the word da literally means someone who introduces people to their past and escorts them to their future. So as a storyteller, I took on the moniker, the title, Da, because that's what I get to do. And Anansi stories are prime examples of introducing people to their past and then escorting them to their future through that art of storytelling.
0: That's great. Let's take another quick music break. We'll listen to another track from Lewis Gearshifter Youngblood here on the Arts Hour. We're back for the final segment of the Arts Hour today on MPB. I'm Larry Morrissey, and our guest today is Terrence Roberts, the story weaver from Da Story Weaver from Meridian, Mississippi. We've been talking a lot about your uh, storytelling work, but um, I want to expand out. Um, You're also a a staff person with the Meridian Freedom Project. I'm familiar with the Sunflower Freedom Project up in Sunflower County. I believe this is kind of a, 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 not an offshoot, but taking the ideas and bringing them to Meridian. Is that kind of right? Or well,
1: Yeah, we can, there are changes in the works, but this is basically okay. 20 years ago, I believe tomorrow, the Sunflower Project was birthed, a project that really wanted to, based upon the ideas of Freedom Summer and the Freedom Schools, but to provide the education and leadership opportunities built around a civil rights understanding for students. And so this program had been in place for a number of years, about 15 years, I guess, or so. And people in Meridian were really interested in bringing it to Meridian. So they went to Sunflower and the opportunity to bring it back to Meridian. They're like, we're not interested. Thank you very much. But they kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back. And they're like, okay, finally, if you do this and do this, then someone has to be embedded in our program, and they have to learn what we're doing, and then maybe. And so they come back, okay, we have somebody already picked out, and we're ready to go. And so kicking and screaming, we actually were able to bring the Sunflower Project to Meridian as the Meridian Freedom Project. And now there's a third in Rosedale. So there are three, and and we're now in the process of developing what's what's called the freedom project network so it's it's a really neat idea focusing on the principles or the lead principles of love education action and discipline and letting uh, our freedom fellows know that they can achieve anything that they want preparing them for college if they want to go to college every every fellow if you complete that program if you want college, college will be, be, it, it will be in your reach. Scholarships, all the things that you, you might want will be available. It's a powerful program, and, and I have a great deal of fun now being the permanent artist-in-residency um, in my role of director of literacy uh, with the Meridian Freedom Project. So what kind of things are you doing with with the fellows? Well, this summer, for example, we did two novel studies. Uh, we did for our sixth and seventh graders, we did "Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry," and then the seventh and eighth, the eighth and ninth graders did a gathering of old men. And so we're taking we took the book, we began reading it, reading it out loud. Sometimes we would act it out. Sometimes we would draw character skits or character characterizations. Sometimes we would do tableaus of a, of a particular scene. Sometimes we would just engage. So instead of just reading the book, now they're living the book. They're acting it out They're They're getting a full understanding. And then we're talking about the cultural differences. What's really going on. We're, we're talking about racism. We're talking about um, the fact that owning your own land uh, is a powerful thing, and for many people who were sharecroppers and what they, they had to go through. And the understanding that sharecropping and, and slavery was just a legal form of slavery, and understanding the company store idea. So we worked really hard with that. Something like A Gathering of Old Men, we took and turned it into a, a kind of like a detective show, because it starts off with a murder. And you don't know who did it to the end. So there are interviews. So we learned about interviewing. We learned about um, motive and means and opportunity. And so each person that we we heard them tell their part of the story, we're analyzing and we're searching out. And so it becomes not just a book, but this whole dramatic piece as we're becoming real detectives. So taking that and being able to articulate as a detective why this happens, this happens, using the art of of storytelling, the art of drama specifically, but also movement and dance and, and some of the other things, music, where we're really getting into the story. So now that student has not just read a book, they've experienced the book. One, they'll never forget it. And then two, it helps with them as they begin working on essays or they're writing papers or all these things, they have a better understanding of how to approach a book. And so reading fluency and having a a good understanding of the book are are both enhanced. So those are just some examples of what, what I get to do with the fellows when it comes to literacy.
0: You're listening to the Arts Hour, and today our guest is Terrence Roberts, storyteller and a staff member at um, the Meridian Freedom Project. Right. What, are, uh, what are some other activities or kind of elements of the Freedom Project in addition to kind of the, the arts stuff?
1: Well, we have arts, and we have rhetoric. Um, we have students who are preparing for mock trials. They're learning, in this case, about bullying uh, over the summer, and so they're having a case regarding bullying. Uh, they're learning about poetry. And they're learning about public speaking. And they'll meet with the other Freedom Fellows through the network. And we'll have a competition for them to to present what they're learning. Um, we have special arts, different things. We have art teachers who are coming in. Uh, we have wonderful interns that come from all over the country. This year we have interns who are from um, Johns Hopkins from Harvard, we have some summer collegiate. I know they're from Brown. Uh, we have some from Ole Miss. We have—I mean, just the just great young people who are—they're are residents with you during the yeah, summer. They're just coming down great. just for that opportunity to work with with students. They're very passionate about social justice, very passionate about other things, and they're just pouring into these these students. And so it's great for them. The best way to learn is to teach. And so they're learning, but then the students are also getting a chance to learn. Um, so they're they're engaging in, in both visual arts and creative arts. They're they're learning dance. They're learning step. Um, it's a well rounded program. And what happens as you you continue to work our freedom summer is very intense, and we'll be traveling uh, mainly in the month of July. So they're going to Selma and Montgomery to. I'm going to Memphis, and then we'll do a week of classes at Mississippi State University so they get the feel of a college class. Part of our summer programming, the high school students are actually getting dual credit from Millsaps, so they're taking courses that doctoral program um, volunteers and interns are working with, and they'll actually get credit, you know, college credit, so powerful program and really making a a huge impact both on academics but ultimately we're creating these leaders uh, in our community that can go forward and and make change. That's excellent. Um, So
0: we're winding up here but I want to give you a chance to Tell everybody in terms of your storytelling, mm-hmm. whatever information, website, contact information they have for you. Of course, you're listed on the Mississippi Arts Commission Artist right. Roster, which is at arts.ms.gov. You can uh, go to the Artist Roster section and yes. see you there.
1: But also- so, definitely, all the information is there. Uh, my website is da Storyweaver, da Storyweaver.com. On Facebook, look at da Storyweaver or da Terrence Roberts. Um, what else you can get me? Yeah, those are probably the easiest ways to, to get either the website. Um, have stories, will travel. Love to do weekend work. Love to, to work with schools and, and especially schools who want to understand arts integration and how, how to enhance their teaching. Um, a new approach to teaching that's not just traditional but constructive. And so kids are, are building knowledge and they are those 21st century thinking skills are being used. But if you just have a birthday party and you want some fun entertainment, I'm available for that as well.
0: That's great. Um, Thank you so much, Terrence. Really appreciate you coming in today. No problem. Uh, for those of you who've been listening, you want to listen back uh, you missed part of the show or you want to share the show with a friend, you can go to the MPB website at mpbonline.org. They post all our past shows there as streaming files. Uh, you can also go to iTunes and download the show as a podcast. Until next time, we'll be seeing you around.